Iowa's News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. Some games are bigger than others, but at the same time, it's, yeah, it's 120 yards long, the field. We're still going to be using a brown ball. Nothing is really going to change. Yeah, there's going to be different matchups and things like that, but it's really just been business as usual. Hard to believe that was true, but friend of the program, Matt Vandenberg, is here in the studio to shed some light on whether or not the build-up to a Big Ten championship game is truly just business as usual. Welcome to another episode of Eye on the Hawks. Matt, you played in that 2015 Big Ten championship game. Is this week really just like any other week, or can the team feel a little bit of a different aura around this game? I mean, there's a different aura because you're playing for a championship, but KF's message to the team is going to be this is business as usual. And the main reason is it's all built on consistency. You want to go in with the same fervor that you've gone in with the last 12 games, knowing that you earned an opportunity to play a 13th. This game isn't guaranteed. This is something that just got added on at the end of the season. So knowing that you earned another opportunity to play, it adds a little fire to it. Obviously, the talk about Michigan and this, that, and the other thing kind of lets the uh, Iowa play the real underdog, which... I mean, they were an underdog against Nebraska, and I still don't know how that happens. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is they just got to go out and do what Iowa does, which is consistent football. Did you guys feel like you did a good job of that in 2015, treating, like, treating it like another game when you actually got there to the field and when you went out there for that game against Michigan State? I mean, incredible game. Obviously not the outcome you guys wanted, but still an incredible, uh, close, tight-fought game against that Spartan team. Did you guys treat it like any other game once you got out there, or did the, did the lights affect you guys at all? I wouldn't say it affected. I think it's more like you you take in the opportunity prior to the game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going out there for pregame warm-ups. You're seeing the lights. Like, it's all different. It's an NFL stadium. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd never played an NFL stadium outside of, like, a couple bowl games where we got beat. So, like, <laughs> being able to go inside indoors was cool. But, like, you, you take in what that feels like. And then when game time hits or really once you start doing, like, the real pregame warm-up, like the team pregame warm-up, then you start to understand, like, okay, now i got to lock in because now it's time to go. But there are times just kind of like – you know, going into the fourth quarter against Wisconsin, you want to soak in the jump around. Like, it's a really cool <laughs> tradition. Or first quarter at Kinnick, the wave, you want to take that in. There's going to be times to take in what they're playing for, but at the same time, I mean, this team has shown great resiliency throughout the entire season. I expect it to just be business as usual. Well, the last time you were here in the studio was ahead of the Purdue game. That was the, the first career start for Deacon Hill. A lot has changed between then and now. How have you seen this team grow over the last couple of months? Well, they've really started to spread things out and I think make the reads a little bit easier for Deacon Hill. You know, we've seen a lot more empty, which is not something that I was clicked to uh, since Coach Bryan has taken over. But the ability to get the ball out quick, we've seen a lot of quick screens to either Caleb Brown, Eric All when he was healthy, uh, Nico Ragaini. So trying to get those guys involved, um, as well as the plethora of running backs. I mean, they're leaning on uh, Jazz Patterson. LeSean Williams seems to just continue to grow, as well as Caleb Johnson. So they're starting to lean into the playmakers as well as get the ball out quick, and I think that's been helping their offense. Prior to the season, Iowa was a heavy favorite to win the Big Ten West, so at face value, it's no big surprise to see the Hawks back in the title game. But when you consider the injuries this team has suffered to some of its best players, it feels like this team has defied all the odds to reach Indianapolis. You play 12 games just trying to get to this point. I um, want that 13th one, and um, we're here. So, I mean, uh, it means a lot, and we're, we're really grateful for the opportunity. It's going to be a little bit of a circus-like environment in Indianapolis in general. So, we've, yeah, we've spoken about those things. But in terms of football, nothing's really changed. It's just um, Michigan's our opponent this week, and we're going to do everything we can to beat them. This is like a one-in-a-lifetime or two. You, you don't know how many Big Ten championships games you're going to play. So uh, everyone's um, having a lot of fun right now. Uh, having another game to play, and uh, 
yeah, we're just trying to make most of, of, of the opportunity. Now, Matt, you got to make history with your 2015 team as the first Iowa squad to ever play in a Big Ten championship game. If you could give this team one piece of advice before they step on that field, what would it be? I'd say enjoy the environment and then go do what you do. Like, at the end of the day, when you're out there and you're on the field, you're just playing ball with 10 of your boys. Like, that, that's really all it is. Now, there's a different color uniform. It's a different environment. And like Tori just said, like, it's kind of a circus. But um, knowing that it really comes down to the 10 guys on the field that are with you and the other 60-some players that are on the sideline, um, and then the coaches. Like, that's really all that matters when you enter that building. Obviously, you want to feed off the fans and stuff like that. I was probably going to drink all the beer out of all the bars. <laughs> but, like, the ability to have that kind of following and then knowing that everybody has your back just go out there and play loose. There's, there's no pressure. There's nothing that you really need to do outside of go play football. I think that when this team played in the 2021 championship, that was the highest uh, amount of people that has ever watched a Big Ten championship game, biggest attendance uh, record there. Um, is that going to be the same this year, do you think? I mean, does Michigan travel as well as Iowa fans do when it comes to that Indianapolis game? I think there's a lot more fervor in this one on that side because we do have two transfers from there. Unfortunately, neither of them are playing in this game. But I think that they it's a little extra motivation on their side to try and prove something. But at the same token, I mean, Iowa fans love Iowa football. And we're not winning uh, flashy ways. We're mm -hmm. winning Iowa ways. 13-10 against Nebraska, that's not flashy. <laughs> but we win Iowa ways. Yeah. Well, for Iowa, it's their third appearance in the Big Ten title game. For Michigan, same story. Third time for the Maize and Blue, all coming in the last three seasons. Saturday's game will be a rematch of the 2021 game when Iowa got worked 42-3 in front of the biggest crowd in the history of a Big Ten championship. A lot of players from this year's team remember that game well and are hoping to draw on that experience to bring a different outcome this Saturday. I mean, obviously, we just got outplayed and outcoached um, and out-executed, and so... Uh... You know, it's just going to be up to us again this year to, uh, you know, kind of handle things better, uh, prepare better. I would say we gave our all two years ago as well, right? And that's how the game turned out. So how much more could we do from two years ago to give us a better chance to win this year? Matt, we haven't asked yet, but I know you spend most of your Saturdays at home watching the kids. But are you making the trip to Indianapolis this weekend? My wife and I did seriously consider it, but last time we did go in 2021, but my son was young enough to sleep through it. Uh -huh. Yeah, he's two and a half now. He's just going to be running around. It's a late game. I don't think we're going to make it. Okay, that's fair. So what are, you get, what are your plans for the game? What are you going to be doing while, you're, while the game is on? I'm hoping nothing except watch the game. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm sure we'll have some people over and whatnot. I mean, it's, you got to tailgate a little bit sure. right at home. <laughs> well, does that 2021 game play any sort of a factor into what we'll see this weekend? A lot of the same players are around as they had two years ago. Does that motivate Iowa in any way? Uh, the way that they got embarrassed on that field a couple of years ago. Anytime you go out there and you don't execute the way you feel like you should, I mean, that's definitely gonna, gonna harbor in you for a little bit and a chance for a rematch, like you mentioned, to go out there and actually do what you feel like you're capable of doing. But not only that, now they've got two players from the other side that were on that team and it's like, hey, this is how you handed the environment. This is how you go in there and win a game like this. Nobody on this team has won a championship in that fashion, yeah. myself included. And so <laughs> like to have somebody that's been through and be like, this is how we handled it in order to go out and perform at that kind of level. This is what we need to do moving forward. I think they've got a good, good opportunity. Yeah. Well, Vegas odds makers are well on the side of the Wolverines at the moment. I was a 23-point underdog, the biggest odds they've faced in the game all season. The doubters are out there facing a team that's nearly a lock for the college football playoff. Iowa's players know that this is a David versus Goliath caliber matchup. Oh, we know. Yeah, we know it's out there. You know, everyone's kind of already talking about like, oh, who's Michigan going to play in the playoff this year? And that's fine, like, keep doubting us because we've been doubted all year, you know. Yeah, we, we love being the underdog and we're just going to go in there with nothing to lose and have some fun as well, you know. It's a, it's a great environment, nothing to lose, and 
Yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, we put our four walls up. I mean, we just care about what's inside here. It's inside our building. Um, we know what we believe in. We know what we do. We know what our process is. And, um, I mean, that's all we really care about, honestly. We've been on that end the whole season. So, uh, I mean, we like it like that. So, uh, we always embrace uh, the adversity and everything like that. So, uh, I mean, it's all really just fun. Just keep on putting people around. Matt, how much of a factor can that be in the mind of a player? Speaking to these guys on Tuesday, they said that they know the world is betting against them. Does that to, to, does that drive some sort of a motiva motivation in the locker room? There's a point to it for sure. But, I, I, you know, we mentioned the 2015 team. And I think this team shows a lot of characteristics of that in terms of next man in. You've got a lot of adversity in terms of injuries. You've got the coaching thing that's obviously circling the program. Yeah. You've got all these different things that are counted against them, and yet they find a way to win the games that you're not supposed to, or you find a way to win the close ones. 2015, we were 11-0 going into Nebraska, and we only win by one score. <laughs> right? And we were, we were supposed to be a shoe-in for the college football playoff. But for whatever reason, Iowa likes close games. Mm -hmm. And if they can keep this kind of mentality of like, all we have to do is keep it close, and we're going to have a shot going into the fourth quarter, I think they have the opportunity to do that. I wasn't working in this area back then, so I guess I, I wouldn't maybe know some of those parallels between now and 2015. I know they had an 85-yard touchdown pass in that game, which is maybe not something that we're anticipating seeing on the, on the field on Saturday. Uh, can you go into that a little bit more, what some of the things are that you see that are similarities between this year's team and your team in 2015? Namely, the next man in. Okay. I mean, there, so Tavon Smith was one of our star receivers. We go up to, against Wisconsin, uh, and he has to sit. So Germanique Smith, a freshman, has to come in and do some, uh, play a little bit. Uh, against Northwestern, uh, Kanzeri was down. Uh, LaShawn, William, or LaShawn Daniels, excuse me, was down. So Akram Wadley goes in there and scores four touchdowns. Wow. Uh, against uh, Pitt, uh, C.J. Beathard dives for the end zone, tears both of his, uh, I think he had a double hernia. It finishes, obviously, the rest of the season, but then Marshall kicks a 57-yarder against, uh, you know, as time expires to win. Like, those aren't things that you can script outside of, like, oh, this is how the season went. But if somebody were to give you a movie script and say that, you'd be like, ah, nobody watching that. Same thing with this year. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, like, it's believable because they just stick together. And you hear, hear about it all the time. Even Jack Campbell talked about it last year. Offense isn't as great as it used to be, but he's like, we're not going to divide. Like, this is a team. And I think that Coach Ferentz coaches quintessential teams. Yeah, uh, so Marshall did make some kicks that year. You put him on blast last time you were on here for missing some of those <laughs> well, kicks after touchdown. Personally, yeah. He, he did make a few of them that year. <laughs> Does this year's team remind you at all of the Iowa women's team playing South Carolina in the Final Four? Because that too, heading into that game, that also was treated like a David versus Goliath matchup. Yeah, and the Iowa women came out and showed out. It yeah. became a close game, you know, and obviously you lean on your stars in those games. I expect LaShawn Williams to carry the, or, yeah, to carry the ball probably 20, 25 times. Mm -hmm. Caleb Johnson, a heavy dose of those two guys. But defensively, I mean, we don't give up a lot of points. They don't give up a lot of points. I think it's going to try and be able to use their uh, aggressiveness against them to try and get them there. I, I mean, they're all hyped up and looking at next week. I wouldn't be surprised if the Hawkeyes spoiler a little All bit. All right. Well, we'll keep that in mind. Then the Hawkeyes have kept their fans on the edge of their collective seat this season. Nine of their 12 games have been decided by 10 points or less. Four of their last five have been decided by three points or less. Grinding out close games is exactly how Iowa got here and exactly how they like to keep it on Saturday. We prepare all year long for games like that. You know, that's our big thing is taking teams to deep water. And when we get them in those situations like that, we know teams aren't as comfortable as we are. We expect games to be like that. You know, we like when games get tough like that, when t games get grimy and who could out-tough the other team by the end of the game. You know, we feel like teams start to get softer at that point and we come alive at those points. That's the beauty of football, but the challenge this week's going to be to get it in that fourth quarter, you know, where it is competitive. And uh, at least we've had experience at that, and that may be one of their downsides. They haven't had a lot of that experience. You just keep on fighting, keep on playing. 
just keep on playing and uh it's never over the game is never over there's uh 60 minutes in ball game and we play every single of those seconds so um you know the game's never over for us Man, I can never tell if teams love it or hate it, but this team does seem to keep it tight week after week. That's been the case all year. We heard Nico talk about it, but why do you think this team plays so well when it comes down to the wire? Well, and I think it's the foundation that KF and really Coach Doyle put in. Uh, when I was there, the, the main compliment you could get as an Iowa football player was to be a finisher. Hmm. Whether you finish the catch, you finish the block, you finish the run, you finish the quarter, you finish the game. And that's really what this team has clicked to. Like, when it comes to the fourth quarter, they are going to finish outside of one invalid loss uh, that I'm not going to talk about anymore. But everything comes down to finishing, and this group finishes. Mm -hmm. And Matt Rule of Nebraska, he even knew it himself leading up to that game. He said that that team, that Iowa plays so well in close games, and that's exactly what they did on Friday when they beat Nebraska at the last second. What were you doing that, during that game? Were you with family? Were you watching that Iowa-Nebraska game? <laughs> uh, I was with family waiting for Nebraska to turn it over, okay. so they, they did what I expected. <laughs> uh, we've had this discussion recently among the three game-winning kicks against Nebraska between uh, you had Miguel Versinos, you had Keith Duncan, and now you've got Marshall Meter. Uh, what's your favorite or anyone land at the top of that list for you? Man, Marshall Meters was incredible just yeah. because given his story, he was going to hang up football, decide, Coach Wood gives him a call, decides to have him come out, and then the snap is low. Torrey has to hurry up and flip it up before Meter barely squeaks it in mm. to finish with 10 wins. I mean, I don't think there's a better story out there. I, I tend to agree. Regine is named the Big Ten Defensive Back and Return Specialist of the Year despite missing the final two regular season games. Tory Taylor named the Big Ten Punter of the Year. DeGene and Jay Higgins earned first-team All-Big Ten honors. Sebastian Castro on the second-team honors for the media. Three Hawkeyes named to the third-team defense or special teams. And seven Hawkeyes earned honorable mention honors. It's award season in the Big Ten. And for Tory Taylor, he's also Iowa's first-ever finalist for the Ray Guy Award given to the best punter in America. I don't necessarily like talking about myself in that regard, but there's been a lot of guys that have performed at a really high level. Um, but to answer your question, I think a lot of it kind of comes down to impact in games, and um, I don't really know um, what other guys have done. You can really only see um, the stats, but at the end of the day, it is a stats game. So I'm really just grateful to kind of be a part of it and um, have fun. And Yeah, I'm sure those guys are going to have a hard decision. Matt Vandenberg back with us on Eye on the Hawks. Matt, after looking through the list of honors given out to the defense, is there any major snub that sticks out to you this year? How is Sebastian Castro not first team? Man, That's nah, the one that I keep thinking about. Think so, yeah. You know, he had a couple interceptions that uh, – well, he had the big pick six, obviously, against Iowa State. He had another opportunity uh, just a couple weeks ago at home. He blows up bubble screens. Like, he, dude does everything that our defense asks, so – uh, I'm going to say special Castro, honorary first team uh, member. It may be a little bit of hyperbole to say this, but I mean, some people are saying that he's maybe compared comparison to Bob Sanders as far as uh, guys who really just like go after the ball, just a missile out there, just willing to hit anybody and everybody in their path. Jay Higgins was one that stuck out to me. I mean, he's a guy who is second on the nation in tackles, leads all power five players in tackles, and he's not the defense or the, he's not the linebacker of the year. I mean, that one stuck out to me a little bit as possibly a snub for Jay. I agree. I mean, the, when you have that many tackles, and not only that, I mean, it's it's a team thing, right? It's the defensive line doing their job so Jay Higgins can fly. But when you're taking that many hits on your body and mm -hmm. continually to go out there, especially in the Big Ten, to think that that's not up there, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, we could have said the entire defense, <laughs> uh, but those two guys for sure. How much do awards mean to the players is it all lip service when they say they don't care about the trophies or does this mean just a little bit to them at least it'll it'll mean something later yeah it, it doesn't mean anything right now because there's still work to be done i mean it kind of goes back to that kobe bryant interview where they're like 
job finished. Have you seen, have you seen this one? I don't know. Uh, Go they're, on. They're Tell up two zero in the in the in the finals, and they they're up two zero going back to L.A. And they're asking him, he's not happy. He's like, job finished? And the guy's like, no. He goes, no, so I'm not happy. Hmm. Like, I feel like that's kind of where this team is. Is like all the individual honors are cool, but the team honors are what they want. Yeah. And they still have an opportunity to go out and win a Big Ten championship. Yeah, once the season's over, then they can start reflecting on some of those things. Well, that Ray Guy finalist wearing black and gold, he's been a staunch supporter of kicker Drew Stevens, who was a semifinalist for the Lou Groza Award, but has had a rough two weeks, missing four kicks against Rutgers and Nebraska, eventually getting pulled in favor of Marshall Meter for the game winner against Nebraska. But Drew is listed as a starter on Iowa's depth chart this weekend, and his teammates are rallying around him in the midst of his on-field struggles. Really just for him, it's, it's keeping his head up and, and pushing forward. Um, you know, there's going to be times again where we need him to kick, so and he needs to be ready. But as long as you're in the positive, I feel like that's the most important thing. And this is a great opportunity for, for Drew to learn. It's a great opportunity for us to get around him. And, and, and for me as well, to just to kind of step up and say, hey, you know, everything's going to be all right. Everyone makes mistakes. As good as Nate Kading was, he's missed a few too, you know. So, I mean, it's, um, you just got to move on. You got to block it out. That, that's really the trick. It's not a matter of can you do it, can you block it out. If you, if you dwell on that. You know, forget about next week because you're you're gonna be terrible. And I think that's a lesson, and we'll we'll find out. Hopefully, it was a great week of uh, of practice. Man, I'm putting you on the spot here, but was there any time in your career when you were in the shoes of either Drew Stevens or Tory Taylor, where you had to either rally around somebody else, or you were really depending on your teammates to help rally around you in a time when you needed it? I mean, I didn't drop many passes in my career, but there <laughs> there were some times where like I wasn't playing my best football, and it kind of goes back to one of the key lessons that Coach Ferentz talks about. And I'm going to bring up the Penn State for example. We were down, we lost 31 nothing, mm-hmm. but one of the messages that he would have in the building is, "Don't let Penn State beat you twice." Like. That's it. It's already over. How do you move on to the next opponent? And it's the same thing when you're having an off game or something happens like what's happened to Drew Stevens. You know, kickers are a little bit different. You don't get to go out there and get hit the next play and forget about it. So it's something where he has to go back to the drawing board, figure out that like, oh, wait, no, I'm capable. I've done, I've done this for eight games, ten games. You know, I kicked the game winner at Wrigley against Northwestern. Yeah. Like, he's And to know that he's got the guys back, I think that'll help. But there's definitely something to it of, like, now you need to focus on what you can do, and you can't focus on the past. Were you surprised to see Drew Stevens listed as a starter this week? I mean, I know you're getting into the coaching realm a little bit over at Solon. Um, as a coach, I mean, do you stick with a hot hand like Marshall Meter, who just came off that big game winner, or do you go back to your guy Drew, who's made the kicks for you all season? I think you go back to your guy Drew. I think he gets first crack at it. Not only that, but you talk about in the kickoff game, and I, I, I don't believe Meter's got the same right. uh, leg that Drew does. Mm-hmm. I think going into the Nebraska game, I think he was 30 touchbacks on 40 kickoffs. Like, I mean, that's also a weapon, mm-hmm. you know, to know that and, and to give your offense a weapon where they don't have to. To, you know, you can set up for a 55-yarder and he might have an opportunity. I mean, I talked to him and I think he's good from 60. So I think he gives you more uh, in terms of leg strength and, and that ability. Um, but he's also a competitor. He's going to, you got to flush it and then move on to the next. And he's got a lot of guys in the building that will help him. Welcome back to Eye on the Hawks this week. Matt and his wife, Laura, had the opportunity to chat with Kate McNamara for their podcast, Talking Hawks with the Vandenbergs. Here's a snippet of their conversation with the Michigan transfer. Well, I think this week specifically, I'm not just getting Deacon ready. I'm getting the entire team as much okay. as I can because, I mean, I know so much about that other team. Yeah. That from a defensive standpoint, from an offensive standpoint, I'm just doing everything I possibly can from an entire st- team standpoint to just let these guys know everything that I possibly know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously with Deacon specifically, I'm able to help them out with, you know, some schematics that they run and some things that they might try and do. 
any which way to po- I can possibly help this week, I'm doing it. So, um, this, if this week, I mean, it feels like I'm playing this week, but, um, yeah, I'm excited. Great interview, Matt. Uh, first off, let me give you a chance to plug your podcast. Tell me whatever whatever the viewers need to know about your podcast. Talking Hawks with the Vandenbergs. Uh, a lot of times we'll talk about a preview or a recap of the previous game. We'll have an interview guest, uh, which the one with Cade went for an entire hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably could have stayed there and chatted for a long time. Dude's a beacon of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the story's pretty unique, too. You have to check it out. Living in an abandoned warehouse. I'm not going to give anything <laughs> more than that. And then we also do a preview of the upcoming game. It comes out once a week. Uh, so you can go back and look at some of our other guests. We've had Tori Taylor on, Cooper DeGene, uh, Kate Martin even from the women's basketball team. A lot, a lot of really cool people. All right, plugs out of the way. Uh, I'm really curious to hear some of your takeaways after talking to Kate. We haven't heard a lot from him since he went down with that season-ending injury. Give us at least a little bit of a taste of your conversation with him. How is he doing mentally right now? He's a guy that takes adversity well. Uh, he was talking about there's hills and valleys, hills and valleys. He's like, in Michigan, you know, I hit a, I hit a peak you know, I got, got to the mountain when we won the Big Ten Championship. They beat Ohio State for the first time in, I think, like seven or eight years. And then the valley of how that whole thing went down. Uh, you'll have to check out the podcast to figure out more. Um, how that whole thing went down uh, in a valley where he went back, did rehab, entered the transfer portal. Then hit the peak again where he feels, you know, pretty healthy. Being at Iowa, being excited. First touch or first pass is a touchdown to Seth Anderson. And yep. uh, then a valley again as he goes through another uh, injury rehab. But he's kind of a guy that just takes it and goes. Uh, his best friend is Joe Evans, who, as we know, was one of the top leaders on the team. Uh, so to have that kind of guy in your back pocket, I think is a good thing, too. How much of an advantage does it actually have with having Cade McNamara and Eric all on that team? Uh, does that really provide a huge advantage for them, giving a little bit of inside information on Michigan? Potentially a little bit. Okay. You know, I don't think that there's as much. I mean, Michigan is Michigan. They're going to line up. They're going to run man. They're going to run some cover two or cover four or whatever. Like, they're going to run their defense. Um, it's going to be a little bit different because we don't throw the ball like Ohio State. Like, you can look at some of those games. Uh, kind of, I look more like the Rutgers game which, granted, Deacon doesn't run the same way their quarterback does, but they were able to run the ball on him. And Rutgers could have gotten up big. Uh, I'm thinking Rutgers against Ohio State. Yeah. I apologize. But yeah. either way, like Rutgers running the football, stuff like that is, I think, what we're going to look at just because we don't sling it as much as, like, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Got a nice little setup there in the basement. Almost looks like uh, Howard Stern or something you got <laughs> down there with uh, fewer expletives. Well, outside of the college football playoff, the Michigan football team has only lost one game over the last three seasons. Two straight perfect regular seasons. A juggernaut awaits Iowa and Indianapolis. Curtis Fader joins us in the studio with a breakdown of this dangerous Michigan offense. The Hawkeyes knew that a juggernaut would stand between them and a Big Ten title, and that juggernaut turns out to be Michigan, a team that a few Iowa players know quite well, those being injured Cade McNamara and Eric All. Hopefully some useful information can be shared since allegedly the Wolverines already know a lot about their opponents. Perfection is going to be required on defense and special teams for the Hawks, especially against a top 20 scoring Michigan offense with an elite running back in Blake Corm, who has torched many defensive fronts in his career. He now has the most rushing TDs in a single season in Michigan history. Iowa has experience stopping elite backs, but this defensive front also needs to get home to J.J. McCarthy, who has shown some weaknesses in recent weeks. A few forced turnovers from this Hawkeye defense can also help the team keep this game close for a potential shocker. But rightfully so, the biggest question mark is, even if the defense plays well, how is Iowa going to put points on the board? This will be by far the toughest defense the Hawkeyes will face. Michigan's defensive unit is second in the nation in points allowed, giving up 10.25 points per game, even less than what Iowa has allowed against their Big Ten West schedule. 
the biggest key will be the ability to move the football, maybe even just 20 yards to get field goals or red zone touchdowns off of elite defense and special teams play to try to keep it close and create some late magic in Indy. As exciting of a time as it is for Iowa fans to watch their team play in the Big Ten Championship game, in the final edition of East versus West, it seems that anger will probably be the only outcome, either anger at the Hawkeyes for their performance on Saturday or anger at the refs during the Iowa-Minnesota game, robbing the team of potentially a shot at the college football playoff. Matt, let's talk about America's team. I know you've done your homework. Uh, what, what will be Iowa's biggest stumbling block on offense or defense against Michigan? Well, I think uh, our offense versus their defense, obviously they're stifling, right? So I think it's going to come down to they're going to try and load the box and stop what Iowa wants to do, which is run the ball. So how are we going to alleviate that box a little bit? We've been going empty more. Do we go empty and then run? Do we do a few different things just to try and soften that box so that way we can run the ball? Mm -hmm. On the other side of the ball, uh, I'd actually rather face this offense as opposed to Ohio State really? because they want to run the football. Yeah. I'd rather face a running football team as opposed to a passing football team. Now, mm -hmm. the tough part is, you know, Marvin Harrison only touched the ball five times in that game because he's a receiver. Blake Quorum's going to touch it 20, 25 times. But at the same token, that's what our defense is built for is the running Big Ten teams. Yeah. So along with that, as long as we've got some discipline rushing on the outside, you know, with an elusive quarterback like that, you got to rush the passer a little bit different because you can't let him break contain because that's when you get a little soft on the back end. But another thing that helps Iowa is that we're more of a zone match team as opposed to a true man-to-man -man. so I wouldn't be surprised if we got somebody waiting for him like a Sebastian Castro or a Jay Higgins waiting to lay that hit as he's trying to roll out. So last Saturday you were hoping for Michigan to win that game against Ohio State. That's who you thought maybe they matched up better with? Well, I wanted to face Ohio State's defense and Michigan's <laughs> offense so I don't I think I was over two but yeah. either way yes I'd rather face a running offense as opposed to a passing. Yeah I want to go back to something that Curtis kind of alluded to as far as um, the frustration against uh, uh, Minnesota. I know you said you weren't going to talk about it, but we're going to bring it up at least uh, in theory a little bit. Kirk Ferentz really sounded off after that Nebraska game about the, the, the officials, their call about the invalid fair catch. Did it just surprise you to hear Kirk sound off in that manner? Because we don't really see him let loose that much in a game where he's even dropping expletives that we've got to bleep out of the show. I mean, he doesn't do that a lot. Was that, did that surprise you to hear him talk in that manner after the game? I think a little bit, yeah. and to go back to a previous game. That's not something that KF yeah. would normally do, but at the same token, I think he understands what's at stake. Like, we're talking about a sixth review after 20 minutes of, like, how can we make this call, essentially, potentially keeping Iowa out of their CFP? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he made, a, made a, uh, an allusion to it on Tuesday at his presser of, wouldn't it be funny if we just win? Mm -hmm. <laughs> just screw up the entire college football playoff. Like, that's something that they've got on their minds of just go out there and play, but... Uh, that, that's, that's a call that I don't think he's going to ever forget, yeah. and I don't think any Iowa fan is going to forget either. Yeah, anybody in that building. Uh, out of curiosity, if, if Iowa pulls that off on Saturday, do you think that the Big Ten did, gets a team into the college football playoff? Does Michigan and or Ohio State still get in? I mean, it depends. Does Alabama beat Georgia yeah. and, and Texas is one <laughs> loss? Or, you know, But Texas beat Alabama, and then you know if Oregon beats Washington, I mean, there's a lot of – that's the cool part about college football, right, is that nobody truly knows, but it's definitely going to put the, quote, committee on their – on their butts and really think about all this kind of stuff. If if Iowa were to pull the upset, Washington uh, Washington loses to Oregon and all these different things. You know, I mean, I'd like to see a Big Ten team get in, but I also wouldn't because I want us to beat Michigan. Yeah. Six years, I've stood in the same spot for the swarm. I go in the back row all the way to the left. I don't know, I'm a very superstitious guy. Like, if you watch me during the games, I do some things like over and over. And I, when I was younger, I have like pancakes before every single game. Um, yeah, I'm just superstitious, so that's my spot. Uh, 
Like I step in the 30 like three times every time. I don't know what it is about it. I've done it since high school, but every time I go by the zero, if I go by it, I have to step in the zero three times. And if I mess it up, I will go back in it and do it. Okay. Or I feel like I'll make a mistake, you know what I'm saying? Not a good way to do things in life, but I, I can't mess with it at this point, you know? You, you still eat pancakes pregame? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My mom used to make me chocolate chip pancakes every Friday before school in high school, so. Just a glimpse inside the enigmatic mind of Nico Ragaini. Matt Vandenberg back with us on Eye on the Hawks. Uh, Matt, any superstitions that you can speak of from your days as a Hawkeye? Uh, nothing like super crazy. Uh, I did get a stuffed teddy bear from Laura for Valentine's Day. Precious. Uh, and then I brought that with me to every game. Really? In my backpack. Okay. Um, but outside of that, no, I mean, there's, I'm just going to go out there and play. Yeah. <laughs> did you have any teammates that you saw anything wild like that? Anything like that uh, that Nico was talking about? Well, I guess I did do one thing now that I think about it. Okay. Uh, I read one Bible verse. It was Joshua versus, uh, Joshua chapter one, verses one through nine. <laughs> Essentially how he takes over for Moses. And now it's like his job to move forward. Um, and then George Kittle would take my Bible and read a couple verses of his own. So, I mean, there were a few things, I guess, like that. But not like every time I see the 30, I got to step in the zero. I, you'll see him do this a lot. <laughs> He does this so like when he's standing in the huddle, like really? pushing his gloves. Yeah, you'll see that. I've definitely noticed that. Okay. Uh, any particular reason why that verse in Joshua spoke to you or why that was something that you made part of your ritual? Uh, it was more so that um, basically just know that God is with you mm -hmm. and that he will give you the strength to do what it is you need to go do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, when you're sitting there pregame, there can be a lot of self-doubt, especially during the game. You know, if you drop a pass or if you miss a block, self-doubt is one of those things that creeps in. And if you can remind yourself that like your strength is actually through the Lord, mm -hmm. then you're not going to have that kind of fear of going out there and messing up again. I want to talk about um, relationships that you have maybe with some of the players because this week we were talking to Tory Taylor and he was speaking about his relationship with Jason Baker, a former Iowa punter, and they've really built a strong bond. Have you as a former Iowa receiver built any sort of a relationship with any players either on this year's team or previous teams? I mean, we just heard from Nico. I don't know if you've had built any sort of relationship with him or anybody else on the roster. Uh, to a point, you know, I'm, I try to leave them when they're in season because this is their busy time. Uh, this is also a busy time for me, yeah. you know, with different things. But uh, being able to have as many people on the podcast has been kind of cool to build and then create more relationships than what I had seen. Uh, but I still got a group chat with guys that I went to school with, like the Sean Daniels, Boone Myers, Michael Ojemudia, James Daniels, like those dudes. Like we still talk uh, and it's kind of cool to know that we have those relationships. But uh, even like Coach Woods reach out, reaches out every now and then. It's kind of cool. He was the guy who recruited me to Iowa. Okay. So it's cool to be able to talk to him as often as I have. Yeah. Well, let's now get into our championship week game picks. First, the Big 12 title game is at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Texas is 11-1 and could still make the playoff with some help. Longhorns are 14.5-point favorites in Arlington against Oklahoma State. Matt, who takes this one? Yeah, I'm going to take Texas. I don't, I, don't think okay, I don't think OK State's got it. <laughs> Pretty safe <laughs> pick, I think, to stick with Texas in this one. Uh, next, the SEC championship, which is going to be possibly Texas's future destination. The game is on CBS2, top-ranked Georgia undefeated, trying for a three-peat as national champs. They take on Alabama. Georgia only a six-point favor here. Who do you like in this one? Uh, both interesting games last week. Georgia was a little bit closer than I think they wanted in Alabama on fourth and 31, <laughs> converting a touchdown. Unbelievable. Uh, I don't think that continues. I think Georgia is able to get this one done. Okay, knock Alabama possibly out of any hope for a CFP if uh, Georgia can win that one. Now to the Big Ten title game. Second time in the last three years, I will meet Michigan and Indy. This time an even bigger underdog than in 2021. Wolverines are 23-point favorites. Matt, can the Hawkeyes shock the college football world on Saturday? I actually do believe so. I think okay. if we can hold Michigan to under 17 points, hmm. I think we have a legitimate opportunity. I think we could win 17 to 14 
or 17-10, 13-10. It's going to be really tough against that Michigan offense, but I do think if we're able to hold them, kind of like how we do almost literally everybody else, mm-hmm. I think we'll have an opportunity. So maybe not lighting it up on offense, but you do like Iowa in that one. I mean, it's it's tough to pick them against a Michigan team that's a powerhouse like this, but... I'm also not going to come on here and not pick Iowa. <laughs> I kind of have a feeling that'd be the case. I want to thank Matt Vandenberg again for joining us on Eye on the Hawks this week and throughout the season. Been a huge help for us, Matt. Thanks again for joining us, and good luck with your podcast the rest of the way. I appreciate you having me. All right, thanks, and have a great weekend. Enjoy the Big Ten Championship.